Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Inside the Natural State. I'm flying solo tonight as my co-host Andy gets the week off. We all need a week off from time to time, right? I'm back and rejuvenated from a nice vacation with a wife. Pretty sure I'm still removing sand from places that I really would rather not talk about after this beach trip, but it was a welcome reprieve from the craziness of the last few months. Man, do we ever have a fantastic pod lined up for you guys this week. Joining me tonight is Jackson Collier, also known as Hogball Blog on Twitter, as well as Fox Sports' college basketball and football writer Aaron Torres. I'm looking forward to talking with Aaron this week about his relationship with Eric Musselman and just his thoughts on his fit at Arkansas and what Hog fans can expect going forward. And be sure when you are done listening to this episode, you jump over and listen to the Aaron Torres podcast. Subscribe and catch his interviews with Eric Musselman and Mason Jones, amongst others. And be sure to give Aaron a follow on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. One more favor I need from you before we get into it. Hit that review button. We want your feedback. So drop us a review. Five stars if we've earned them. And then share this podcast with every sports-loving individual that you know. It's been a fun week, guys. This is going to be an extremely exciting podcast. You guys are not going to want to miss the information. And, and, and just Aaron Torres is a phenomenal, phenomenal knowledge base. This guy really knows his stuff when it comes to college basketball. Has some pretty fantastic connections as well. Um, and it's really going to be fascinating to talk with him ab- about that relationship that he has with Eric Musselman. Uh, something that really goes back several years. And, uh, and and so Arkansas fans are really just now learning who Aaron Torres is and, and and, and some of his his style and the things that he brings to the table as a national writer for Fox Sports. So uh, really excited to pick his brain tonight and uh, and and just uh, and get a really good idea of what we have in store with Eric Musselman and and, and really hear an outsider's view, somebody that uh, that's not a, not connected to the University of Arkansas in any way, and, and can just really uh, give us a good idea of of who this guy Eric Musselman is and what makes him so special. Um, we're going to talk a little football as well. Um, ask him a few questions about Sam Pittman and, and what he thinks uh, as far there. And, uh, man, of course, we're going to touch on the transfer portal and, and some of our favorite transfer guys coming in and this recruiting class, amongst a lot of other things. And maybe dispel a few rumors or, or, or who knows, maybe we'll push a few extra uh, uh, rumors. So, um who knows, man, but uh, exciting podcast tonight. Um, I know you guys are all saddened that Andy's not with us uh, tonight, and uh, don't worry. The uh, the ginger will be back next week. Uh, we'll be back together right here in the Mountain Valley studio, uh, knocking out another fantastic podcast, and who knows? We may have another fantastic uh, interview lined up for you guys tomorrow another, or next week, another great guest. So, um, again... <clears throat> Hit that share button. Uh, make sure you share this podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app wherever you get your podcast. Do the same thing with the Aaron Torres podcast. And, uh, and, and guys, just uh, enjoy the show. Uh, when we get back, I'll be joined by Jackson and Aaron. Let's do this. Support for this episode is provided by the Mountain Valley Spring Water. 
Bottled continuously since 1871 in Hot Springs, Arkansas, the Mountain Valley spring water rises naturally to the surface of the earth where it is bottled untouched to this day. Mountain Valley prides themselves on truth, integrity, and clean, pure water. They bottle in glass to preserve quality and taste and also proudly offer recyclable, green plastic bottles as a convenient on-the-go alternative. There's never been a better time than now to get back to your source. So head over to mountainvalleyspring.com to find your local retailer or set up delivery to your home or office today. Welcome back, everybody, to Inside the Natural State. Joining me now is NSS's basketball writer extraordinaire, Jackson Collier. How's it going, Jackson? Doing well, doing well. Just hanging out over the Memorial Day weekend. How about yourself? Oh, same thing, man. I just got back from a, uh, a nice long road trip, so uh, trying to settle back in before I light the grill up here in just a little bit. Living the life, sounds like. Yeah, something like that. So back to kids and all that good stuff. So, But uh, joining Jackson this week is college hoops and football writer and host of the Aaron Torres podcast, Aaron Torres. Thanks for joining us today, bud. How are you today, Aaron? Fellas, I'm doing well. I don't know when this will run, but it's Memorial Day. I'm, I'm mostly locked up here still in California, but I hope you guys are able to get out and enjoy the holiday a little bit. And I uh, hope everybody's doing good. Yeah, so thankfully we're able to get out a little bit, and uh, and like I said, I took a uh, the wife and I our anniversary was yesterday, and so it's not very often that we get to to book things at the last minute and there's stuff open for Memorial Day <laughs> weekend. So we actually went and tent camped on a beach, so we social distanced um, and, and stayed about a half a mile away from anybody out on the beach, and then uh, <laughs> did a couple of nights in Galveston and just kind of hung out in the room and, and had a good time. So yeah, it's it's been a good weekend so far. Very good, guys. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. Oh, yeah. Well, Aaron, again, thank you for hopping on here. No, we always try to share your stuff. Hog fans are loving your interviews with Eric Musselman and all that kind of content that you've been putting out there. Uh, just for Razorback fans who don't know, how exactly did that relationship start out with you and Coach Musselman? Because y'all seem pretty close. You've done a number of interviews with him over the years, and it seems like you're very high on him as a coach and as a person. So I just didn't know how that kind of started. Yeah, it's really funny. You know, I mean, I've been doing radio interviews in Arkansas really for five or six years now. I was at FoxSports.com many years ago when the website was still up and running. And did a lot more actual college football covers than I do now. I mean, primarily, I'm mostly basketball now. But I feel like the relationship between uh, me and Arkansas fans really took off when Coach Musk got there. You know, I mean, uh, really what happened was is that um, in, you know, the, the website, The Athletic, the first year that it was up and running and they had a college basketball page, I helped out a little bit. I uh, can't do it anymore just because of some other commitments. But, uh, you know, being on the West Coast, uh, you know, it was the season where Eric Musselman, Coach Musk, was coming off that Sweet 16 run at Nevada. They returned most of their team with Cody and Caleb Martin. And so really uh, a couple times early in the, the season – um, no, I take that back. I take that back. I, I take that back. Okay. The year I worked for the athletic was the year that they made the sweet 16. And I think coach Moss was still a guy that 
diehard NBA fans really knew and people from the pro ranks were familiar with, but you know, he was kind of this kind of from a basketball perspective, even though he's not young, he was kind of this up and coming guy. Nevada had made the NCAA tournament. Um, and then the year they made the sweet 16, I was really on the ground floor. I mean, I spoke with him probably three, four, five times throughout that season. Obviously, uh, for a program like Nevada, this is no disrespect, but it's a great opportunity to kind of be plugged in with the athletic and do some stuff. And so I did some stories and short interviews. It was nothing crazy long form or anything. Um, and then really, uh, really kind of moved into a different direction and started up my podcast, really, the season uh, after that and the summer after that. And that was when there was obviously a ton of buzz about Nevada. Like I said, they had made the Sweet 16 the year before return their whole team. And they started, I think, in most polls in the top 10 in the country. And so, you know, I, I had kind of a pre-existing relationship with Musk. You know, I probably spoke with them two, three times during the off season on the podcast. And their fans at the time loved it. They don't love me now. Um, but, you know, their fans at the time loved it. And, you know, just kind of kept that relationship going. And, you know, obviously it's when he transitioned to Arkansas, uh, you know, I had known him for a couple of years beforehand and he's been gracious because obviously we know the media that covers Arkansas, you know, there's always another interview to be done or whatever. Uh, but he's continued to be gracious with me. And, and Jackson, I agree with you. Is I, I think we have some great conversations. It's funny. I was talking to a friend who is not an Arkansas fan this weekend uh, over Memorial Day just catching up and he said, dude, I heard Musselman came on with you again. You guys have great conversations, all that kind of stuff. And what I would say, and I think most Arkansas fans by now realize it is that coach Musk really just has an incredible uh, basketball history. You know, I call him the, the Forrest Gump of basketball because he's literally been everywhere at every moment, worked with all kinds of cool people, um, and obviously that relationship has continued since, since he's gone to Arkansas, you know, I mean, I try not to bother him too much. I mean, he's a busy man with a lot of responsibilities, but you know, two, three times a year, we formally catch up on the podcast. I'm gracious every time. And I think as Arkansas fans have gotten to know him a little bit better, have gotten to know me a little bit better over this last year, year and a half. I think they're really enjoying kind of the, the banter and the back and forth between the two of us. Oh yeah. No question. I never miss a podcast that you do with coach Musselman and it's, it's just, a quality interview every time and he just he really does give incredible answers he has a great history and he's such a likable guy it is just so hard to even just watching an interview or even just listening to an interview he just lights up the room and makes it hard not to smile or just be excited about the state of the program just because of the type of person he is yeah, you know, and it's really funny guys because I, I mentioned this a minute ago but I live in LA and obviously look um the same year that, that Arkansas let, let go of Mike Anderson, UCLA let go of Steve Alford. And obviously, it's really ironic that Steve Alford is the guy that replaced Eric Musselman at Nevada. But I thought that UCLA should go after Eric Musselman. And the reason, very simply, was for a lot of the same reasons that you guys are seeing now at the University of Arkansas is his energy, the way he promotes his program, the way he promotes it on social media, and not to get too far off of Arkansas, but you know that is stuff that I think UCLA has really struggled with over the last decade. As, as college basketball has kind of changed, it's more of a niche sport. We all get that. You know, you have to have a guy, unless you're at Kentucky or even in Arkansas, there's not very many places that there is interest in the program independent of who is running it 365 days of the year. And I thought that he was the exact kind of guy that UCLA would need in terms of, again, social media, media presence, being out in the community. 
Uh, and so I use that only to say that that's exactly what he's done in Arkansas. And, you know, you guys could, could answer this better than I could, but it feels like, with no disrespect to Mike Anderson, that there is a renewed sense of energy around the program, a renewed sense of excitement around the program since he's arrived. And, you know, it's funny, I just, I talk about this all the time. I go on ESPN radio in Fayetteville every week and we talk about this. Is um, Even something as, as, as mundane as scheduling a game against Oklahoma uh, in Tulsa that's kind of between both campuses, that's something that in the middle of May can get a fan base excited for a few days. Obviously, the recruiting stuff speaks for itself on the court, all that stuff. But I just think he has an incredible ability to create interest in what he's doing and what his program is doing. And I think Arkansas fans have really seen that really over the last year or so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And that's something – so I've always been a Mike Anderson guy. I loved Mike Anderson. He's an incredible person, and I think he elevated the program from where he took mm-hmm. it after John Pelfrey uh, had the program and had – a bunch of talent and was one of the better recruiters we had. He and Heath both were incredible recruiters, but could not win on the court. Um, so I will never talk down on Mike Anderson. The only thing I will say is we never lived up to the expectations that we thought after he took Mizzou to the Sweet 16, and we never quite took that next step. Mm-hmm. And there was an absence of social media presence of Mike Anderson. I mean, the university would tweet out stuff on the Razorback basketball Twitter page and all that kind of stuff, but you didn't see the statistics come out like um, Twitter does, the or in one of those uh, Twitter accounts does uh, polls that show interactions with Twitter pages. And consistently, since Eric Musselman has been hired, the number mm-hmm. of interactions with the sports, with the, the Razorback basketball page has been in the number top five or something. It's been number one a few times, been in the top five consistently with just impressions and engagements and all that kind of stuff. And now we actually do have a Razorback basketball recruiting Twitter handle. It used to just be the Razorback basketball handle. Now we have a Razorback basketball recruiting Twitter handle, which we used to only have for football. But So now we have all this kind of stuff rolling in motion. Of course, we're just signed the number five class in the country. So, yeah, I, I completely agree that he breathes life into a program that is even even as excited as Razorback fans are year in, year out. It, it was something new. It was renewed. It was exciting. And the results kind of speak for themselves. He won 20 games with a, a team full of some sophomores and some role players that had previously won 18 games. Um, it, it was honestly pretty incredible. I wanted to just kind of your feedback. He's covered college basketball at a high level for a long time. What does that first season tell you to take a team that went 18 and 16 with a draft pick center, Daniel Gafford, and then he comes in, he only plays seven guys in his main rotation. What does that tell you for a first year coach to come in with without having his players aside from one main grad center and Jimmy Witt and win 20 games and push for an NCAA tournament bid if, if the season, season hadn't been cut short. Yeah, well, and I think you're missing the most important point, um, and I'm not, you know, criticizing you. I just think it's a fact is, you know, they were one in five without Isaiah Joe, and yeah. so oh, yeah, you man. do the math. Yeah, and, and you know, something Musk and I talked about the last time he was on my podcast was just that, you know, uh, you can say they were, what what what'd you say they were, uh, what would you say they were 20 and 12, Jackson? Is that what they finished the, the regular season at, or I guess technically yeah. postseason? Cause they, right. So, you know, you, you extrapolate that out, that's 19 
and seven with Isaiah Joe in the lineup. And even then, there was a couple games there before he underwent surgery that he tried to play that he wasn't himself. And so, you know, I, I think it's an incredible testament to year one. And then, of course, obviously, look, it goes without saying, I know everybody listening to this show watched all the games, and there was a couple games that could have gone either way. Um, now, granted, uh, you know, Arkansas won a couple games that, that could have gone the other way, but there was also, you know, off the top of my head, South Carolina, I remember being a pretty controversial loss. Auburn, I believe, was either an overtime or double overtime. And so, you know, 20 and 11 or whatever it was, 20 and 12, when your second best player misses games and you're one and five without him, and then you lose even a couple games within that stretch that, that were winnable. Look, I think it was a great first step, you know, and obviously, look, obviously now the expectations have been raised. I know we'll probably talk a little bit about the recruiting class and the grad transfers and all that stuff. And so, you know, you, you need to see. Um, was it, you know, my, listen, my hunch is if Isaiah Joe is healthy the whole season, they're in position to make the NCAA tournament. But obviously, look, it, it was an exciting first year. Uh, even Coach Musk, when I had him on the other day, I was talking to him about it. He said, look, we wanted to build the culture. We wanted to build the brand. We wanted to create excitement. They've done that. Um, and now I'm just really excited to see where it goes in year two because I think it's going to be another year where the SEC is very competitive next season. I know we don't know everybody's roster just yet, including Arkansas's with Isaiah Joe, but I think it's a really exciting time. Uh, and I'm frankly really forward, excited to see what the next steps are going forward and what I think is going to be a really fun SEC next year with Tennessee being really good, LSU being kind of pretty good again, and obviously Kentucky, Florida, those kind of teams that are always good as well. I think it's going to be really fun to watch going forward. Well, and to your point, too, on the, you know, on, on where this team could have gone, I mean, I remember, I think this is our, four, I don't know, 40-something, 40th podcast, somewhere in that range. And, and so during basketball season, I know before the Joe injury, that was the talk, you know, can we get to 24 wins? Can we get to 25, you know? So everyone was really excited. And, and to go back to your point a little bit, too, um, you know, on the Mike Anderson thing, I think Mike Anderson's biggest – uh, downfall at Arkansas was his lack of ability to modernize, you know, whether it had been recruiting, yeah. uh, social media, whatever. He just – he never seemed to want to to step forward into this new modern era of, of college basketball, and it, and it ended up, you know, really burning him outside of some of the Arkansas guys he was able to get here. Well, and I think, too, the other thing is, like you said, you have to be adaptable. And even somebody like John Calipari, listen – John Calipari lost two or three guys this offseason that I think that he thought he was going to get back, and he went out and hit that transfer market. And, you know, listen, um, you know, it's kind of become a running joke is that anytime a kid enters the portal, Arkansas is going to reach out, get involved, whatever. But, listen, first of all, that's what Musk was doing at Nevada. But at the end of the day, your job is to do what's best for the institution that's paying you. And I remember John Calipari two or three years ago took his first grad transfer, and he said, look, I don't like this rule. I don't like that kids play for a program for three or four years. The other coach develops them, and I get to reap the benefits of it. But my job isn't to do what's best for college basketball. My job is to do what's best for the University of Kentucky. And obviously, look, you know, Musk has taken that, um, you know, that edict, uh, you know, to another level with his aggressiveness in the transfer market and all that stuff. But I can also tell you from the opposite perspective, you know, obviously there's more people from Arkansas that are Arkansas fans, maybe that are following me now uh, than a year ago or two years ago or five years ago, certainly. But what I would also say is, you know, the number of questions and DMs and whatever that I get from fans on any given day of, 
oh, you know, what do you think about this guy? Or, you know, uh, do, we, do you think we can get this guy? Or will this guy be eligible if we get him? Or what do you make of Vance Jackson? What do you think of Jalen Tate? Um, you know, it, it goes back to what we were saying a minute ago, which is that, um, you know, Muss is definitely a 21st century modern coach where I think he wants to recruit the high school to develop players and not have to rely so much on transfers. But I think the reality is that's just the name of the game. And so, um, you know, I can't speak to, to what Mike Anderson was wanting to do behind the scenes or what he did do behind the scenes. But no, man, there's just definitely uh, an, an increased interest, increased excitement. Um, and like you said, guys, is that he's really modernized things and he's not afraid uh, to push the envelope. And I think that's the big thing real quick um, on that subject is that, you know, you know, he's, he's a guy that, um, you know, I, I think if, if, as an outside observer with, with Mike Anderson, again, it's like Jackson said, he, he elevated the program, but like, you know, much is to another level in terms of the intensity, the, the recruiting stuff, uh, the aggressiveness with the grad transfer. And it's like I said a minute ago, uh, when a school is paying a coach millions of dollars a year, um, it's his job to do the best that he can within the NCAA rulebook to win games. And I think the one thing you'll never debate about Coach Moss is the intensity that he brings to everything, not just game day, but recruiting and all the other stuff that comes along with it. Well, and you, you hit the oh. you hit the nail on the head there with the intensity thing. That you know, Mike was. I love Mike. I'm with Jackson on that. Mike was a very likable guy. Muss is a very likable guy, like on steroids. The dude's just nonstop. He never quits moving. He never quits going. And you always feel like he's always just trying to push the program in the right direction. Oh, 100%. 100%. And listen, you know, and the thing that's always amazing when I talk to him, and you guys probably even listen to more interviews with him than I do, is he thinks about everything. And he, and like you said, he tries to push the program forward in every way, shape, and form. And, you know, I know that his staff behind the scenes, and this may come from Nevada where there weren't as many quality opponents uh, in the in the conference play, but they really study the scheduling stuff and what, what games do we have to schedule with who and in what venues um, do we have to do it in for us to, to be in position again that large. You know, I mean, I don't know that – um, a lot of coaching staffs in the country worry as much about that stuff as maybe, uh, you know, Coach Muss and his staff do. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. Um, you know, he told me the other day that, you know, after Connor Vanover wasn't ruled eligible with that transfer waiver, that they're really looking into what made a quote-unquote successful waiver push last season. Obviously, some guys got it. Connor Vanover didn't. And he said they've spent a lot of time this offseason trying to figure out, okay, what do we have to do? How do we have to explain ourselves so that maybe we get, uh, you know, we're able to take advantage of this going forward? And I could be wrong. I don't even think they have anybody right now that's sitting out that that wouldn't be eligible next season in terms of a transfer. But it's just, you know, it's it's everything. And listen, you know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to keep up with um, and everything. But like, I do think that the one thing that you can't say is no matter what it is, recruiting, scheduling, game day prep. Uh, picking the brains of other coaches in the industry, picking the brains of, um, you know, whatever. You can't say that Eric Musselman doesn't give 100%. And I know I've said it a few times, but I think Arkansas fans have really figured that out here over the last couple of years. Oh, yeah, no question about it. And I think one of the more interesting parts to me is the fact that he doesn't limit where he tries to draw influence from to basketball. He'll go to Major League Baseball managers. He'll go to NFL football coaches. Um, and, and all these other different 
realms of sport. He just he has no boundaries where he won't go and try to perfect his own craft. And going back also to what you were just talking about, so we have all of our scholarships filled right now. And every single player on the roster is eligible. All 13 are eligible to play this year. But because of last season where he had a main rotation of seven players and only nine uh, eligible scholarship players, there are some pockets of fans that are they're very concerned that with all this talent that we have with the recruiting class, the grad transfers, the returning players, and the now eligible players from last year, that even with all of that talent, that we are still only going to play seven to eight players. I, I have tried, I've written articles and I've debated with people on Twitter for weeks now saying that's not going to happen. He's, he, 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 like we just talked about, he adjusts to the talent he has. He adjusts the roster he has. He's not going to play seven or eight people just because that's like, that's set in stone. If he has the talent to play 10, he's going to play 10. If he has talent to play 11, 12, he's going to play 11, 12. Yeah, I, I would think so. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, things change on the fly. I mean, obviously, look, I, Isaiah Joe goes down last last year, and it meant more playing time for other guys. You know, I remember I seem to remember Ethan Henderson getting more playing time late than he did early. Uh, I remember, you know, Reggie Chaney taking on a more active role depending on the season. And I will say this, too, is like I was listening to an interview with Shaka Smart the other day, head coach, University of Texas. He was doing uh, John Rothstein's podcast. And John Rothstein asked him kind of a similar question as he said, you know, you guys have all 13 scholarships filled. You basically bring back your entire roster and you bring in one of the top high school players in the country. Is it possible that you have too much talent? And what Shaka said was, I thought very interesting is that he said point blank, like, look, you know, um, you know, if we had to play a game today, we wouldn't have 13 healthy players. We've had players undergo surgery. We have players that are coming back from injuries. And so I only bring that up because, listen, if last season proved anything to an Arkansas fan, it's that you just never know. You know, I mean, obviously, if you had asked most Arkansas fans in September, October of last season, they probably think Connor Vanover's eligible. You can't anticipate Isaiah Joe basically losing, what, six weeks of the season between surgery and even the injury before that. Um, and so, yeah, no, I think that it's fair to say he'll play eight, nine, ten guys if, if that's what things call for, less if necessary. And I'll also say this, too, a couple things on that is that, you know, one, you know, competition is the best thing. And even if it's, uh, you know, a freshman or two or whatever that aren't playing as much as they thought, they're still going to get better if they're competing with really good players in practice. And, you know, I think the big thing I would say is whether he plays seven guys in a game or 11 or 12 in a game is that it is good to have the options. Now, if I was the parent of the 12th guy, I don't know if I'd feel that exact same way, but it's kind of on that kid to earn their spot in the lineup. And I don't know how that happens. And I don't know what must looks for behind the scenes in any given player. But, you know, the one thing I'll say about him is I don't think he's going to not keep someone on the court. Uh, if he feels like they can contribute to what the team is doing. So it'll be interesting. I do think it's a realistic question. I do think it's a fair question from Arkansas fans, but I also think it's a good problem to have. Uh, you know, having 13 scholarship players all ready to go is a lot bigger, you know, a better of a problem than what they had last year where there were times where there was only really six, seven guys that they could really uh, roll, roll with going into the game. 
You know, so like I followed, I followed Muss since about the, his 2016 season, I think, in Nevada. Um, for me, it was more. Um, he was Nevada was an easy bet back then. Um, you could, yeah, sure. <laughs> you, you were going to win. You, you got, you were going to cover almost every time Nevada took the court. So um, I started following Muss at that point and really watched a lot of what he did. Uh, you know, then and, and then and after and got really excited when his name popped up here. But to Jackson's point of what he was talking about, I think it was. I think it's interesting. Number one. You're right. He's not going to – the best guys are going to get on the court when he when he feels that they need to be on the court. So I don't think it's going to be an issue of, well, he's only going to play six or seven guys. But I know that from Nevada guys and even some national, you know, across Twitter, social media, some of the folks that I've interacted with, one thing they've always said is, you know, oh, well, he doesn't play freshman. He doesn't, you know, because I think there was one big five-star that he got out at Nevada that never played or didn't play much or whatever the story was there. And so that has kind of followed him, it seems like. So, I mean, mm-hmm. dispel that rumor that he's not just going to tell Moses Moody, sorry, man, you're a freshman, you can't play. Yeah, I think what gets lost in the shuffle there is that, you know, they – um, Nevada, the year that they brought in the kid, his name is Jordan Brown. He was a good yeah, player. You, go. um, you know, the, the the year that they brought him in, they also had a grad transfer who was like seven foot one that chose Nevada over Indiana. And so I don't, the kid, I don't think plays in the NBA. I think he's overseas, but he was a very in demand player. Now you could argue, should they have taken a center? Uh, if they recruited this five-star McDonald's All-American, should they have taken a grad transfer? I don't know. But I think what it was was like anything else is, you know, we're going to have this kid ready. You know, we're going to have this kid for a year. And then the next season, which obviously would have been this past season, had Eric Musselman stayed at Nevada, you know, the freshman will be ready to go. And so, look, I think it's fair. And I think, look, down the road, if if this season, if if none of the four high-profile freshmen play, and I think at least one or two of them is going to get major minutes. But, you know, yeah, if none of them play and three of them transfer or whatever, like, yeah, you're going to certainly have some pushback nationally and all that stuff. Um, But what I think is kind of interesting about that, and what I would all, by the way, what I would also say is you get pushback even from the Blue Blood programs about why should a freshman play just because he's a five-star. I mean, I remember a few years ago, uh, North Carolina had a kid named Nasir Little who wasn't really getting much playing time. And I said, look, if I was a five-star kid, I wouldn't go play for Roy Williams because he doesn't like to play freshman. And the North Carolina fans came back at me, and I think that they were fair in saying this, in why should Roy Williams play a kid just because he's a five-star? If he's not ready to contribute or he's not ready to play, um, you know, I, I, like he shouldn't be on the court just because of what his recruiting stature was. And so I think there's that argument. But look, I think it's something that is going to, you know, uh, be a part of kind of the muscle in persona until we have proof otherwise. And I'll just be curious, you know, is it a bad thing? I mean, is it is it a bad thing in the sense that, you know, if, if this kind of follows him and if, say, um, you know, he has less success at the high school ranks, but it also becomes more and more clear that you can go there as a grad transfer, contribute right away, and potentially play yourself into the NBA. And I don't know, I'm not saying that will happen, but, you know, maybe they just lean more towards grad transfers. And so I get the concern, but what I would also say is that, you know, now more than ever, the transfer thing is just part of college basketball, and there's a chance that this one-time transfer rule gets passed next offseason, and there's going to be a lot of really good players available. And so do you take the third-year junior that, that averaged, you know, double figures at a, a small school 
or do you take the 60th high school player in the country? I don't know what the answer will be, and I'm, I'm going around in circles here, but like what I'm just trying to say is I think it's a fair criticism. I think we'll learn now. I think he really only had one high-profile kid at Nevada, but I, I, while I think it's a fair criticism, I think there's also an argument to be made you got to play the best player, and if it, just because the kid is a five-star or four-star doesn't mean that he automatically has a right to playing time, and if it's going to help the team to play the, the less high-profile transfer or the less high-profile player that's been in the program over the kid that was a five-star, I don't know that I really have any problem with that either, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. I, I, and I'm going to agree with you and just interject real quick. Hog fans, listen very carefully to what was just said, because while we know that Moses Moody and KK and Devo and these guys are native sons and we want to see Arkansans do well on the hill, the fact of the matter is if Arkansas goes to the tournament and does really well next year, do we really care who made them, who got them there? I mean, we want to see Moody and those guys, yeah. but, but we want to win. That's the point. And I want to jump in really quick, too, because I've heard something from college basketball coaches this offseason that I think is interesting and I think it's applicable. And that's very simply that if this one-time transfer rule does get passed, and again, it doesn't sound like it's going to be this season, but probably next season. I think, you know, you guys talked about how much college basketball has changed the last four or five years. I think there's going to be a lot of high-profile programs if this transfer rule changes that don't even recruit high school players. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Because I, I think what you're going to see is, is that a lot of coaches are going to ask themselves the question that I just asked. Yeah, I might not know what my roster is going to look like, but I'd rather take a chance that some kid that averaged 17 a game uh, in the Southland or in the, the Sun Belt is going to hit the portal, and that kid's going to be able to help me win easier than an 18-year-old kid um, that, that was playing high school basketball a year before. And, and the thing about you know the high school scene is, look, we get it. It's, it's a different deal. You're stepping up a level in competition. But for, you know, in, for many kids, it's the first time that they're not going to be the best player on the team, um, first time away from home. And, oh, by the way, many of them have immediate success. There are plenty that do, but there are plenty that don't. And, um, and, and I just think that a, a lot of coaches right now, I'm telling you, they're really asking themselves, if I can't get that surefire dude, that guy that I know is a star, Am I better off just seeing if I can find somebody in the transfer portal? Because, frankly, a guy with college basketball experience is probably going to have less questions than a, than a high school player. Oh, yeah, and that's something I, I completely agree with the, with the main points uh, of all of what you just said. Uh, and that It is a very real possibility that these major programs just completely stop recruiting high school players. That's, that's a real concern. But then, well, especially, before I go any further than that, especially with the whole G League that's starting now where you can be a top-rated high school recruit and you can have that in the mix for all these coaches trying to land the top recruits. You have to, you have to compete now with the NBA paying them $200,000 right out of high school to go play in the G League. And also, you're going to have all these grad transfers who are right there ready to, to help your roster. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I think the other thing, too, you kind of have to understand about high school recruiting is it's a lot of time and a lot of effort with, you know, minimal return. I mean, if you really think about it, you know, you start recruiting high school kids really probably their sophomore year of high school. And, I mean, you're doing – and, look, some of the guys are local. I know Arkansas signed four kids that had local roots this year, but they didn't all play in Arkansas this past season. A lot of them didn't. You know, one, I know K.K. Robinson played at Oak Hill – and uh, Moses Moody played at Montverde, 
And it's like, you know, it's a lot of plane rides and it's a lot of AAU tournaments. It's, it's a lot of stuff and only one guy gets them. And so, again, um, it's a lot of effort for, and oh, by the way, don't forget that when you start recruiting a kid as a sophomore, he's probably 15, 16 years old. Some kids hit growth spurts. Some kids have already hit their growth spurts. Some kids uh, don't develop the way you think. And the kid that you offered as a sophomore, you really don't even want as a senior. And so, uh, you know, it, this is all probably a lot for somebody listening in the car to take in. But what I'm just saying is, is that, you know, there's people in this sport that are, that are starting to gear up for the reality that we'll probably scale back a lot of our high school recruiting. And sadly, and I hate to say it, I hope they don't pass the rule. I'm personally against passing the rule. But, you know, we'll let somebody else evaluate, somebody else develop, and then we'll hopefully get in the mix and convince them to, to come do our thing, whether it's at Arkansas or somewhere else. Oh, yeah. And just to kind of follow up on a point that we made earlier talking about recruiting, and, and you, you said the kid's name was Jordan Brown, the five-star that, that Muff landed at Nevada. I think it goes at least to show Muff's recruiting prowess with high school recruits. He brought a five-star McDonald's All-American to Nevada. Sure. He no, um, he is still recruiting all of these. He, he just landed the best recruiting class that Arkansas has had in 10-plus years, and he's hitting – I think he's doing a good job of kind of anticipating the shift by hitting some high-profile high school prospects but also having a mixture of, of transfers into with college experience. So you have the potential – in, in my opinion, it looks like the, the big investment in high school prospects is the fact that you get to develop them and ingrain your style of play in them from day one at the, at the college level. And they have the most potential, untapped potential out of anybody else that will be on your team. So you have the ability and, and, and I guess the wherewithal to kind of develop all of that any way that you want to. And with grad transfers, it's more of a, you know what you're going to get, but it's going to be there. The experience is there. They're going to be team leaders and they're going to be an immediate impact. You might not have that immediate impact with a high school prospect. You might, it just, it completely changes. And looking at future recruiting classes too, talking about, we just signed the fifth rank class. Well, for 2021 and 2022 in particular, it looks like we might even sign better classes. Um, we're, we're in the running for multiple five-star recruits in the 2021 class and the 2022 class. I think there's another crop of in-state players. Two of them have potential to push to be five stars from, from in the state of Arkansas. And you have another two or three that are well within the four-star range already, which is insane to think about. But these are prospects that Arkansas hasn't seen consistently like we're all on these lists now as being in the top 10 or in the top seven or whatever, all these kids keep putting out their list. We haven't been on these types of lists consistently in, in my lifetime. It doesn't seem like it's been a while. And it goes, when it goes back to what you're saying is the excitement and the, the excitement that comes with it. And you're not going to get everybody, but the excitement that comes with that, the excitement that's on the message boards, the excitement that's on all these podcasts, um, and the excitement that this guy creates within the community that is Arkansas. And, you know, listen, I get it. I'm a fan. I went to UConn. I went to the University of Connecticut. I still love the Huskies. I really do. 
And, you know, you feel good when, you know, you see that high school kids are interested in your program or your coaches evaluating, um, you know, or in the mix for the, the best transfers as well. Um, and like, like, yeah, like it feels good. And like, you know, you're not going to get every one of them. And yeah, if you start missing on all of them, you get in the top five, but you can't get any of them. Then you start to worry. That isn't an issue for Arkansas. Certainly not right now. Um, like, I just think it's just, you know, it just speaks to, like I said, and, you know, this is probably a bad term to use kind of in the modern era of college athletics, you know, guys get paid too much and student athletes don't get paid enough. But like, but Eric Musselman, you know, you're getting your money's worth. You know that whether it is recruiting high school players, whether it is recruiting grad transfers, whether it is trying to figure out a schedule to put together to maximize an opportunity for an at-large, whether it is a scouting report. I know I've said it a few times, but you know you're getting your money's worth. You know you're not getting shorted. Um, and you can't say that about every coach in college basketball. Like, that's the big thing to me is that, you know, I've done this long enough, and you guys have done this long enough to know, is that just because a guy makes $2 million a year or $1.5 or $3 million a year doesn't mean he's earning that money. It doesn't mean that he's <laughs> pouring the blood, sweat, and tears into you, to, to your program the way that you want him to or the way that you are as a fan. And – the one thing, listen, I can't sit here and promise that, you know, Muss will be there 10 years or he'll make a Final Four or he'll make multiple Sweet 16s, but I, I, I can guarantee you that every day he wakes up with that drive to do those things, um, and really, as, as, a, as a fan, that's all you can really ask for. It really is. Have you seen some of the payouts that Ark or the buyouts that Arkansas is paying right now for for coaches? That, <laughs> <laughs> a great gonna, point. We're going to certainly appreciate having having a coach that works his butt off on the hill, and, and that's not to mean other coaches didn't. But we're we're paying a lot of money to get rid of guys that didn't win here. So, uh, oh, you're talking about Chad Morris with his play sheet that was the size <laughs> of a, a small island nation, and the, his players couldn't throw and catch and tackle. I get it. I know exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but I wanted. To touch on one thing real quick with recruiting too, just because it's pretty, uh, just to your point, and, and really the excitement level and what he does. You know, Jackson was talking about his prowess with with some of these high school kids, but uh, I'm fortunate. My neighbor is is Jalen Ricks, who's out at Oak Hill Academy as well, and um, and he went last year before he actually went out to Oak Hill. He went up on an on an unofficial uh, just after Must was brought on, and when they came back, just some of the things he talked about that Must does. Um, on a regular, the, the things he did to prepare for that that meeting and and, and the different things, and because he was able, you know, Jalen's been recruited by by Mike and 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 Mus as well, so it was interesting to kind of hear some of the differences in the way that they talked about that. So it, it just goes to show just how relentless of a recruiter he really is with some of the stuff that he does. Well, I'll just piggyback off that really quick um, is that I, I've been told by people that have been in his recruiting meetings that, you know, when he has a player on campus or whatever, and obviously haven't been able to do that these last couple months, but like you said, uh, I, I've been told that there is no one that has a more detailed pitch, uh, a more detailed, um, you know, plan, whatever. Um, and it goes down to whether it is, uh, you know, whether it is, um, you know, the film stuff, how they want to develop you, what players you remind, they remind you of what players have played under Eric Musselman that he used, like he wants to use you. 
I've been told by people that have been in those meetings, they've never seen more comprehensive meetings in that regard. And so I'm not surprised to hear that at all. Yeah, that's exactly what was said. I mean, and I mean, he had AAU stats from like four or five years back, just stuff that uh, up on a board for, for, for them to walk in and see, like, that's the first thing they saw wow. when they walked in the room is pretty, pretty impressive. So, um, so I want to hit you with a few quick, just rapid fire type things uh, before sure. before we get done. Does, does, I, does Isaiah Joe return? I think he does. I think he does. Um, and I have no inside information. And I'll be honest, I don't think Isaiah Joe knows at this exact moment if he's going to return. But I think the reality is setting in that, you know, the season ends on March 10th. Um, and I think even the kids that declared early thought, okay, you know, we're not going to know today or tomorrow. But we'll start to figure out what this process is going to look like here pretty soon. I mean, guys, we're we're you know it's it's it, we're recording here May twenty sixth. It's, it's almost three months into this thing, and we still don't know if players are going to be able to get out, get to work out in a facility, get to meet with teams, do anything more than go on Zoom and have a have a phone call or two. By the way, we don't know when the draft is going to be. So you know, I, I think with each passing day, there's a lot of people that have a lot of really tough questions to ask. And I think in the case of Isaiah Joe, I think we can all agree that he probably did put his best foot forward this year because of the injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can probably uh, put himself in a better position. It's really funny. I, somebody else asked me this the other day. Um, you know, when, when Mason Jones decided to declare, I, I got it, right? Like, like I, I know you can come back and maybe you can move up your draft stock but can you really do better than averaging 22 a game in the SEC, especially with more talent on the roster? Absolutely. You know, you can't, right? But Isaiah Joe can put a better foot forward. Um, and, you know, I thought I, he, it wasn't something he said to me. I saw it in a different interview that Eric Musselman did. But I thought he brought up a great point in that when you're a second-round pick, when you're not guaranteed uh, a salary, and I think we all kind of agree Isaiah Joe is probably in that second-round range, you're not just competing with all the guys that are drafted, all the guys in the G League. But there's 60 more guys coming next year. And next year, there's going to be another first-round pick that gets a guaranteed salary. And so not saying that that means Isaiah Joe is definitively coming back, but it's a real uphill battle to make it if you're not in that first round um, or, you know, whatever. So that's just my hunch, but I think he comes back. So – you had uh, you you had a, I saw a poll that you put out on Twitter uh, a bit back, but had Arkansas I guess at a at a, a too early poll or whatever at fourteen. Uh, uh, do you still feel that good about this team with Mason now making his decision? Well, no. I mean, like I said, you lose a player that averaged twenty two a game. But what I will say is is that I do like the pieces that are coming in, um, and you know Jackson knows this. I'm a I'm a big Vance Jackson guy, man. Like I. Um, I, you know, I'm a UConn alum. Like I said, Vance started his career at UConn. He averaged right around double figures, 10 points a game. And I've said this on my podcast. I've said it on my Instagram feed and go back and look is that the situation that he was at in New Mexico last year is absolutely chaotic. Um, Multiple players arrested, multiple players thrown off the team, Uh, a player that sat out a game and then had a party at his house. And there was a shooting at the party. I'm not even kidding. Thankfully, everybody was okay. Like, this is all on Google. You can look it up. Um, it was a very chaotic situation, and I, I don't think anyone could put their best foot forward in that situation. And so I only bring it up because I think he's probably better than an 11-point-a-game scorer in the Mountain West. 
And the one thing that I think the Arkansas fan learned with Mason Jones last year is if you can put the ball in the basket, Muss is going to put the ball in your hands and let you make plays. So I like Vance Jackson. Um, you know, I'll be honest. I, I don't remember Connor Van Over being that good, but, but I've talked to a lot of people in the Pac-12 that love him and think he's going to be successful there. Add in the freshman. You add in potentially Isaiah Joe. I do still think they're a top 25 team if Isaiah Joe comes back. I really do like the pieces. I think they'll be more dynamic offensively, and I think they have a chance to, again, be really, really good. Probably not top 15, but, uh, you know, no Mason Jones. I can't put him in the top 15, but I'll probably have him in the top 25 if Isaiah Joe comes back. <clears throat> okay, so you may have answered the next one, and I agree with everything you just said. So, um, so who's one transfer Hog fan should be most excited about? Um, well, I'll tell you this. So I love Vance Jackson. Um, what I will also tell you, uh, so, so I just did my Vance Jackson spiel. Everybody knows about Connor Vanover, Arkansas kid, whatever. I've heard rave reviews from people behind the scenes about JD Note who set out last year. Yeah. You guys probably have heard the same. Oh yeah. Yeah. That they're really excited. He's listen, he's not going to be a 15 point a game scorer, but listen, most teams don't have more than one or two of those, but He's a defensive energy guy. Um, you need guys that play roles that fit, uh, you know, that fit things that you need them to do. And so does that mean he's the sixth man? Does it mean he's the fifth starter, the seventh guy? I don't know. All I'm telling you is that I've been told by multiple people that that staff is really excited about him. Um, and I think he's probably going to be, we know about the freshmen, we know about maybe Vance Jackson, Jalen Tate, the grad transfers. We know about Connor Vanover. I think he might be a surprise for Razorback fans. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm obviously excited about Note, too, but I think one of the things that excites me the most, even with all the freshmen coming in, all the freshman guards and the, all the transfer guards and everything you got, I'm really excited about having Jesse Sills and J.D. Note in the same backcourt because they just have that dog mentality. They're ferocious on defense, and they are efficient and elite. I will say they are elite finishers at the bucket, too. They go and they find contact, they finish through contact, they draw fouls, and they just have that dog mentality, and I just love watching them play. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of those guys. I think Vince Jackson kind of has that same uh, mentality. I think that uh, I don't know Moses Moody as well as you guys. You guys got to see him up close and in person, but uh, that's what I'm told about him is a, you know, that he is a competitive kid as well. Obviously, look, when you play on the number one high school team in the country, you're going up against Cade Cunningham every game, every day in practice. That's only going to make you better. So I think that the team as a whole, I believe, will take that mentality. And that's the one thing. Muss is going to push you. Uh, and if you buy into what he's selling, I think that's going to be a good thing. And I think it's going to be a good product on the floor for the Razorbacks. No doubt. All right. So before we let you go, a couple questions on football, if you'll indulge me. <clears throat> Thoughts on Sam Pittman and his fit at Arkansas? Thoughts on Sam Pittman? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. So your thoughts on the Pittman hire and his fits at Arkansas? Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, again, you guys, you know, you saw him up close and in person as an assistant. And and I think the track record is a a line coach speaks for itself. Georgia just had a bunch of guys drafted this year. What I like is, you know, too often in in sports in general, and it feels like it's more in basketball and football than basketball, is – you know, coaches don't want to listen to anybody else. And, and what, what, what did you guys just say a minute ago about the idea of Eric Musselman stealing from a baseball manager or an NFL coach or an NFL GM or whatever? Um, and, and one thing I respect about Sam Pittman is that he came in and he right away was, I'm going to go get the best coordinators that I can go get. 
Um, and, you know, Kendall Bryles, I know there's some, some history with Baylor, but that guy's a freaking stud, man. And, you know, um, uh, you know, had a ton of success at Houston, had, uh, you know, things were going fine. Florida State stunk, but I don't know how much of it was Kendall Bryles' fault. Right. Um, and then, you know, obviously, and Barry Odom has a track record as a defensive coordinator. I don't, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what went wrong at Missouri. You guys would know better being right, right across the border there. But listen, you know, he invested back into the program. I know there's an easy blueprint to compare it to LSU. I'm not saying it's LSU. Ed Orgeron obviously inherited way, way, way more talent. I'm not saying to expect that. But I just respect the guy that says, I want to be surrounded by smart people. I want to be, uh, be surrounded by people that are going to challenge me and push me and what I think. Um, and listen, we'll see what happens on, on the first Saturday uh, in September as far as if it all comes together or not. But I think when, as long as you have a coach that is willing to hire smart people, willing to learn from them, that is the best thing that you can have. And I really respect Sam Pittman because that seems like what he is going for with these hires. Yeah, 100% agree. And, and something – to the point on Odom, I mean, I think that – I really think that in the future, I don't know any ins and outs of that whole situation, but I think Missouri is going to regret uh, letting Odom go and the, the, what they ended up getting at the end of the day. So, uh, Yep, hire a first-year coach, guy with one-year head coaching experience. Yeah. I don't see that ending well, and he's already uh, making some enemies here in this area. So uh, that uh, what they've tried to manufacture as a rivalry could actually turn into one. We'll see what happens. So it'll be fun for that game in Kansas City next year. Uh, so one other question. Felipe Franks, I mean, there's no question that, that Arkansas was working with a JV crew at coaching staff last year, no matter who was playing quarterback. But is Felipe, is Felipe Franks the answer for Arkansas quarterback, at least for the short term? Well, do you guys kind of point? I don't think he can be much worse than what they had. Um, I hate to be rude. It's just the truth. And I, I think some of it was coaching too. I'm not here to blame, you know, everything on the players, but you know, whether it was Nick Starkle, Ben Hicks, whatever, those guys did not get better over the course of the season. They got worse. Um, I think, and I think Felipe Franks is going to be really well coached. Now, obviously, it's a little bit of a concern that it didn't work. But listen, I think even dating back to two seasons ago, I think he was vastly improved in year one under Dan Mullen as opposed to what he was uh, in the last season under Jim McElwain. And so, you know, I don't know, man. Like, like I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, from what I can tell with Arkansas fans, I think they're being realistic about what they'll get from him. But I do trust Kendall Bryles. I do trust what he's going to do with him. And I do trust that, um, it, that, that at least for a year or so that, He'll be a nice little stopgap for them. But, yeah, no, man, I'm excited to see what the new coaching staff can do there, and I think that he's a good first piece to start with. Yeah, I agree. He so we had the opportunity, and so I've said this several times on our podcast. But um, you know, I, one thing that drove me nuts when Chad Morris came here, I guess, excited me initially, but really drove me nuts was, you know, he would build an offense to fit his personnel. It wasn't this this supposedly sophisticated, uh, confusing. It was what we have there is what we're going to work with, and because I came from high school, that's what I know. And then that never happened, and and, and so he he built a, an absolute dumpster fire. We had an opportunity, actually, to have Art Browse on the podcast uh, not long ago, and, and we asked him that question. Really? About, yeah. Uh, it was pretty cool. It was, it was, it was a really good interview. Um, and, and we asked him about it. was right after we brought uh, Kendall, or after they hired Kendall Browse. And, uh, and Kendall, and we asked him about that. And, and uh, I think Kendall's reiterated this in some interviews since, but, um, that, you know, look, we're not going to make it complicated. These guys, we're going to do what these guys can do. And, 
And when you hear it from a guy that's at least shown a lot of success at other places, it's easier to believe. So um, felt good about what Art had to say as far as what Kendall's going to do and, and really excited about, you know, that offense. And I think he'll he'll mold something around Felipe that will at least, like you said, be that stopgap for a year and, and, and so that they can build some more things. A great get, Mark Bridles. Wow, yeah. good for you guys. Yeah, it was awesome. We 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 did a we, it was a good show. So we were pretty excited on that one. Um, so yeah, so so Aaron, tell us some stuff. What you got coming up on the podcast and uh, and and where to find you? Obviously on social media. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. Uh, Aaron underscore Torres on uh, Twitter. Aaron underscore Torres Sports Podcast on Instagram. That's where I post all my stuff couple good interviews coming up. I got, um, you know, I'm hoping nothing's official yet. I actually think Nate Oates from Alabama will be on the show pretty soon. So another kind of SEC uh, guy there. And I don't know if it's going to be for my podcast or not yet, but I think I'm going to chat with Vance Jackson a little bit. The guy that I've been hyping up on this show nonstop. Um, he actually lives in the town that I live in, Pasadena, California. I've known his dad for years. So hop on with him. Um, and uh, talk to him. I don't know if that's going to be a full podcast interview or if I'll just post it on Instagram or YouTube or whatever. But Hogs fans should check that out. Yeah, very cool. We we did a reach out to Vance and, and have been trying to run that down as well. So big, good get on that. So uh, and I'm looking at your Twitter now, and it uh, looks like you've got uh, – um, so when you're done listening to this podcast, jump over and listen. He's got Jim Calhoun, Bill Walton, Rick Barnes, Eric Musselman, of course, Patrick Patterson, Obi Topin, Emmanuel Quigley. So um, some names. Mason Jones, too. Yeah. Had and Mason Jones recently. That's right. Mason as well. So so guys, make sure you get over and, uh, and, and listen to the podcast and, and give Aaron a follow on Twitter and, and on Instagram as well on social media. So, uh, Aaron, man, we appreciate you joining us. Jackson, what else you got over there, bud? I don't have anything else. Just thank you again so much, Aaron, for taking time out of your day to chat with us for a bit. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Have a good afternoon, okay? Yeah, absolutely. You too. Thanks, Aaron. You too. Support for this episode of Inside the Natural State is provided by Argenta Nutrition. Located in North Little Rock, this locally owned spot is continuing to help you stay healthy even during quarantine. Now offering curbside service as well as deliveries in the North Little Rock and surrounding areas. Looking for a customized meal plan? They got that too. They've even got customized virtual workouts to help you burn off all that pent-up energy you have from social distancing on your couch. Give Alicia a call at 501-508-9991 or follow them on Facebook by searching Argenta Nutrition. Welcome back, everybody. Man, what an interview. 
Aaron Torres is good, good people with good, good information. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. Uh, it was really cool kind of getting some inside knowledge there on, on Eric Musselman, uh, what makes him so special, and uh, just getting that outside national rider's perspective on a guy. So it kind of excites you as a Hog fan to uh, to be able to see the excitement, you know, outside of the of the walls of the state and uh, from national folks alike. So, so really good stuff there. Really appreciate Aaron joining us this week. Uh, so, again, really hope you guys enjoyed that. Remember to go subscribe to his podcast, The Aaron Toward. Aaron Torres podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast and give him a follow on Twitter as well at Aaron underscore Torres. Once again, thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to catch Kevin and I each week on Around the Diamond. We've got some great guests lined up, so make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. And then Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, the Sports Junkies returns live on the Natural State Sports Facebook page and YouTube channel as well. Uh, Join Justin and I along with our special guest as we debate the hottest topics in sports currently. And, of course, don't miss Zach and Andy Fridays at 7.30 on the Natural State Sports Facebook page as well as YouTube for Natural State Sports Live. And now I would be remiss, guys, if we don't talk about the big thing this week. Of course, Memorial Day uh, just Remember the reason that many of you guys got to go out and play on the lakes and get shamed by some of our national media as well as local media for enjoying your rights as a human and a citizen of these great United States to be able to get out and be free and play in the sunshine. Um, So remember, though, the reason that you're free to do those things and the reason that you're free to walk into a restaurant and and, and to do all the things that we've taken for granted over the last couple of weeks uh, or really, I guess, the last couple of months um, is uh, is is you know the 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 men and women who have lost their lives fighting for those freedoms, and we honor them today on Memorial Day. Um, so I know most of this obviously this podcast will come out after Memorial Day, but we're recording it today, Memorial Day. I have uh, finished up my delicious steaks. I have fought away from the storms, and uh, and it's been a great day. But I want to thank those and honor those who paid the ultimate price. And, and lost their lives fighting for the freedoms that we so often take for granted in this country. So uh, once again, uh, we honor those people. That's why we have Memorial Day. We honor those great heroes, those great sacrifices. And I say thank you to each and one, each and every one of you, those families who have lost loved ones. Thank you for your sacrifices as well. Um, so again, happy Memorial Day, everybody. Uh, thank you for your service to those that do serve, but thank you. Uh, for those that made the ultimate sacrifice, and we honor them today on Memorial Day. Once again, thanks for joining us this week. Until next week, woo pig.